right, well, good morning, welcome. everybody, and welcome to the Ocean City Church live stream. Yes. My name is Dan. This is Derek, lead pastor, or not, this isn't Derek, you're not Derek. <laughs> oh my goodness, welcome to the live stream. Um, we're so excited to have you guys this morning. We know as we continue to meet virtually that um, God is continuing to do things, the church is still alive, the church is still active. Um, but we know at the same time, it's been a tough week for a lot of people. There are a lot of crazy things going on right now in our world. And so yeah. the exciting thing for us today is that, that God's word speaks directly to those things that are going on um, in our country and in our world. And so Derek's going to talk about those things a little bit later today. First off, though, we want to celebrate some graduates that we yeah. have in the Ocean City Church family. And so... Um, we're going to go ahead and jump into um, celebrating some of these folks. And so you're going to see some pictures scroll across your screen yeah, as they sort up. of, this is their way of marching across the stage. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, is... having a tough year, I mean, to have your senior year kind of uh, hijacked and um, we do want to honor them. They've, uh, in the, the attitudes of, of our students, uh, especially the ones graduating, it just, it's yeah. been amazing. I mean, they obviously in some ways have been bummed, but they found ways uh, to do things in alternative ways. So yeah. that Elena Bell, man, I can't tell you what an amazing gift it has been to have her in the church, man. That's, that's awesome. And we also have uh, Alexis Lexi Weltson from the so, Johnson Academy, the Seth and Marlo Johnson school of hard knocks. And that's so right. that's amazing. they have a, Congrats. Uh, <laughs> Oh, look at that. Brooks Vianger, man. I've known him since he was a sprout and that's literal. I mean, since he sprouted Brooks um, on his way to be a knoll in Tallahassee, oh, Caleb Abbott. I think Caleb's leaving tomorrow to head to Auburn University. I'm so proud of that kid right there. That's amazing. Uh, Michael Butcher. Hey, Michael, I have your Bible. It's at my house. We did Bible study on Wednesday night, and uh, it's there. Congratulations, buddy. That's, that's amazing. And then we have Riley Forrester uh, from Providence School as one well. One of the most so. humble, talented people you'll yep. ever meet. I mean, she is amazing. Oh, goodness, Sydney Johnson. And I, I think I'm going to cry about as much as Seth is in Marlowe when she, when she heads out on her journey, man. She is an amazing, amazing young woman. Oh, Emma Bradley, University of North Florida College grad. Look at that. She's an amazing picture, too. I don't know who took that picture. Congratulations, Ollie. Congratulations, Emma. That's, that's an amazing, yeah. amazing something to celebrate. You know, it's a yeah. milestone in life. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we think back to our high school graduation many, many moons many ago, and ago. just how important and exciting that senior year of, um, of high school was, and even for our, for our college graduates as well, and yeah. how the world has just changed um, for them, and now we have the drive-by celebrations <laughs> and things like that, <laughs> so, um, but we honor you guys, we thank you yeah. for what you've, how you've led students and how you've been involved in our OCC students, really from the inception. It's great to see people graduating out of yeah, OCC students Yeah, I mean, we're, we now, started so. out, we were the young church with a bunch of college <laughs> students now, and we, That's you, right. you, got, you got people graduating yeah. in high school. It's pretty crazy. And so we, um, we've been praying for you guys, and we'll continue to pray for you. Um, yeah. Parents, we're praying for you as well. We know that this is as big a thing for you as it is for them, and so um, yeah. we just wanted to celebrate that as a church family this morning, um, and just really excited about what God is doing in the lives of our students here at Ocean City Church. And so um, with that, we just, um, again, want to welcome everybody um, in this morning. Um, we're so excited that you've joined us. Um, if, if you're new to Ocean City Church, maybe somebody sent you this link to the live stream and you're just now checking it out or you've been looking for a place to connect during 
you know, kind of as we're moving out of lockdown. Yeah. Um, we're, we're just excited, especially glad that you're here. Um, we would love to connect with you. Um, there's a place you can go on our website, oceancitychurch.org, and there's a button right there that says I'm new here. Um, it's a virtual connect card, but it'll help us to get um, get you connected in with the right resources of the church, whether that's a, um, a city group or whether it's, you know, connecting with somebody to, to pray for you or it's students or anything like that, that's the best way to get initially connected with the church. And so, um, again, we're, we're, we are excited about what God is doing. Um, we have some exciting things to come in the days, um, in the days ahead that we'll yeah. talk about um, in, in the next few weeks. Um, I don't know if you wanted to share any of kind of what our thoughts yeah. are. One of the things, it's so funny, it's like day to day, things change, you know, pretty rapidly in terms of trying to, you know, I think what I've realized and just being transparent um, as I get together with other church leaders and have conversations, um, they're all kind of in the same place of going, you know, we're waiting, you know, we're we're trying to figure this out from week to week. Obviously, um, you know, in no way is the government imposed something where we can't meet, you know, there's no, we haven't been stripped of our religious freedom. Um, we've, we've been told, look, we want you to do, th- do things the right way and care for your people well. Um, so I think in doing that, it, it does make everybody nervous. Like, what's the best way to, to care for um, our, you know, your people really yeah. well? Um, so one thing, um, I, I contacted somebody that's been working with the city, and they actually um, are uh, uh, throwing me on that task force with the mayor's um, deal this week. Um, so I can listen in and um, throw in. Uh, my opinion, if that matters, uh, about things. Um, but also, we had um, I had a discussion with uh, a pastor yesterday. It was so super helpful to talk about one, uh, you know, how's your church doing? You know, how, how's your family doing? But also, um, how you know this season is shaping churches in a good way. Like families are learning to lead their family, like uh, in a way, and and it's exposing some things that's difficult. Mm-hmm. But it's also putting us in a place of asking the question, do we want to go back to exactly the way we were? You know, yeah. here's church, everybody gathers, and we kind of come, and then we go back to life. Yeah. But following Jesus is life, and uh, maybe there's something that we can learn out of this whole process. So do we want to hurry and go back is one of the things right. that we talked about. But what we're going to be doing, um, just to, to get ourselves in a position where we can figure this out, because we, we don't want to just haul off and open up the church and bring people in and be dangerous with you know people's lives. So one of the things that we're going to do in a safe way is next week we're going to have our lead anchors uh, and our staff, which would be city group leaders, people on the finance committee, elders, those type of people that are in leadership positions. Those people know who they are. Um, we're going to we're inviting them to come for the next two weeks, so the seventh and the fourteenth, and we'll have worship. We'll still have the live stream, um, and we'll kind of like we're testing things out, um, and then we're going to meet with those people and with our leadership and talk about what it looks like. Like when when should this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just say it like I say every week. When when we know, you'll know. I mean, you'll know. I mean, you will be the first people to know. It'll be on social media as soon yeah. as we've made a decision. We'll put something out there. Yeah. And I like that. So they, you know, the idea is that we'll we'll do sort of a dry run with our our church leaders, um, our our lead anchors and, and staff. So you know, in three weeks or whenever that that first opportunity comes, where we may be having two services but still doing the the live stream, um, then we'll be well prepared to to welcome you. Whoever would like to come back and, and be a part of the church service um, would definitely want to be prepared for that. And so that's yeah, the reason for kind of the two-week window process there. process and procedures right. and things, um, whether it's, it's, it's possible. Because we're kind of in a yeah. weird, like for smaller churches, it's if you're a church of 25 or, you know, 45 people, um, you know, that's you can do that. People have been meeting and, and it's been going. But 
we're in a weird that weird space of yeah. you know on a Sunday we can have you know 375 to 450 people. Um, we're not a mega church, but we're also big enough in a small building to where right. um, we have to be very thoughtful about what we're doing. Absolutely, and so we we want all of you to know that that we we have you in mind. Um, and there's always a place for you at Ocean City Church, um, but we want to make sure that from our, from our part that we're doing everything to keep um, all of you safe that choose to come back um, to the church and, and worship with us here in person. But we will continue the live stream, so that will continue to be a part of what we're doing, at least for, for the short term, so you'll have an opportunity to continue to connect with us that way. So, yeah. um, And I do just um, want to let you guys know some other things have been going on. We get some questions about what, what's happening with Ground Squell, locally you know what are we doing in the community to help out and so you may have seen the instagram um feed this week but there were some great photos of um there you go right there so we had a team of people that were um, at the mission house this week we provided meals um 250 meals um, were provided um, to um, to those local here in our community through the mission house and so we're continuing to work um, with them and help provide lunches on a regular basis and so if that's something that you're interested in being a part of um, you can go to our homepage at Ocean City Church. There's a um, button right there that um, says Groundswell, um, and you can get connected and um, find out what other opportunities that we have for Groundswell coming up in the very near future. So exciting things we're doing as a church, still opportunities to go and serve our community um, and to be the church um, here locally in Jacksonville Beach. And so um, with that, we're going to um, head into a, a short break here and prepare for our guest. And as we do that, um, just want to remind you guys about giving. I mean, it's something we talk about every week. And I know for some of us, it's, it's sort of fallen off the radar because we're not physically in the church regularly. But we just want to thank you for your faithfulness during this time. We know it's not easy for everybody, but we've been able to help some families that we otherwise would not have been able to help. We want to continue things like the Mission House. We want to um, be prepared for what God has for us um, in the next uh, phase of our church. And so we're excited about what God is doing, and and thank you for those of you that continue to be part of that as our church family. Um, If you're a guest with us, you you don't have to pay for the live stream. This doesn't, doesn't cost anything um, to download, but, um, but we believe giving is an act of worship. And so and it's, it's an opportunity for you to jump in and just say, God, all I have is yours Absolutely. and, and everything, everything is, is from you. And so um, you have an opportunity to do that through our website. Um, just put, uh, go to the Ocean City Church website, just click give, um, and you can set that up as a recurring giving so you don't have to be reminded every, every month. Um, but again, we're just, we're thankful for what you guys have done, um, for us to be able to maintain this and, um, be able to, to position ourselves for where God has us, um, in the next, uh, in the next life of the church. And so, um, with that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with our guest in just a minute.
looky who we got look here. Who we, so, look who we got on the screen. <laughs> Everybody, hey. say hello to Katie Smith. Katie, yep. say hello to everyone. Uh, hey, y'all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to see you in there. Yeah. We had, we had to bring a joy bringer in because she is a joy <laughs> Most bringer. definitely. Oh, I mean, I love, I mean, just seeing when she would roll in on Sunday mornings. And I mean, you're just one of those people that people are like, oh, okay. Life is, is okay. I can, in, I can make it. Bring so people, in the joy. I know there's a lot of people that need, needed to see your face this morning. Yeah. Oh, thank and you. So we're so yeah. excited. Thank you for, for being on with us this morning. So yeah. for those of you that don't know Katie, and, and you probably have seen her in several roles on any given Sunday, <laughs> she works um, on our environments team as a background vocal, vocalist. You'll see her, her up here on the stage. Um, sometimes she, um, her and her husband Dustin help to um, lead one of the city groups, and uh, she also serves on the finance committee. So you guys heard, I think it was, Je was Jeff last week? or yeah, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, so you guys heard from Jeff last week, and Katie also serves, um, help giving some oversight to our finances here at Ocean City Church, and so serving in a number of different ways, and just so excited to have you this morning. Be so. talented. Well, yes. thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I want, we wanted to ask you some, one of the things I love about this segment is people, people learn about people in the church that they see. They see your smiling face, your warm people's <laughs> hearts, but they don't know uh, everything about you and some of the uh, most powerful things uh, that God's done in your life. But I wanted to start yeah. out kind of kind of in, in, in a light zone and uh, just what everybody wants to know. Like, how long have you and Dustin been married and when did you start ice skating? Oh, yes. I knew that was going to come up. Um, so... In two weeks, actually, will be our 17th wedding anniversary. Wow! Which that's our parents were highly irresponsible to allow us to get married in kindergarten because there's absolutely <laughs> no way. Nice work. We are old enough to have been married 17 years, but yeah. Crazy. So we we actually met while I was still in high school um, at church of all places, and. Yeah, so we went on the, the obligatory Baptist choir tour together. All my so my many things I'm learning teenagers. Right now. I know, I know, I know. So we have a lot of those under our belt together. Um, but we started ice skating. I want to say in 2006, and I basically was like, "Hey, we're going to do something together for bonding. Do you want to <laughs> do ballroom dancing or ice skating?" And uh, he picked ice skating. So. That's um, unfortunately we don't get to do it anymore, but it was fun while it lasted. That's pretty awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm like picturing this in my mind right now. Like they should don't. teach a marriage class. I mean, <laughs> to even accomplish that with, I mean, I'm sure there was just, just some discussions along the way, but that's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, um, Katie, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, kind of, you know, you became, you mentioned, you know, meeting Dustin in church, so kind of your church journey. Um, and really what your journey has been as a believer. Yeah, I literally grew up in church. Uh, my dad's parents actually chartered a church in Marietta, Georgia when he was a baby. Um, wow. So church and Jesus have been in our DNA for a very long time. That's awesome. um, we lived in the North Atlanta area. And so um, we went to a couple of churches when I was growing up. One of them, we went to First Baptist Woodstock, which was tiny when we started and is now a pretty well-known megachurch. But um, church was a fundamental part of my upbringing. Uh, we were in youth group. We were there for Disciple Now, for church camp, choir tour, mission trips. My parents helped lead the youth group. 
It was actually the youth minister that had been at Dustin's church and moved to Georgia that introduced us to one another. So it's always been a part of who we are. Um, and then there was a time in college, I don't know if every college kid goes through it, but it was kind of a moment where I was like, well, I don't know if I really believe this anymore. So we're just going to not go to church and just not do that thing for a while. And life was not good. <laughs> I went through a really rough patch in college. And then um, we got together, Dustin and I got together probably around 2002 and started dating. And our first date was 2722. Oh, I totally... Wow. Totally credit Louis Giglio for us getting married. I don't know if Louis knows that. If you're listening, Louis, thank you. God, I'm sure he is. Um, I know he is. But yeah, so even as a married couple, we've served in a lot of different ministries at the churches that we've been to. Um, I think every church except for one that we've been to as a couple has been a church plant. And there's just something that draws us in about the family feel of a church plant. And, yeah. um, you know, we've been all in at Ocean City from day one. We, yeah. Like I said, we've, we've been to a lot of churches and nothing has ever felt as much like home as Ocean City does for us. Oh, that's um, great, great to know. It's amazing to be surrounded by family, a family of believers that's encouraging and loving and uplifting. And so um, we're really excited to be able to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, awesome. being, a, you know, just... I know a little bit more about your story, and I know (laughs) people wouldn't know it about you, but you've gone through a lot of difficulty in your life. Um, You've dealt with things with your health, and I want to give people a little bit of that background, but also how you how you deal with mitigating the circumstances around you because you 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 can't I mean, you you have a lot of things that kind of work against um, some of your health issues. Yeah, um, and that's. Your experience is way beyond what we've experienced with COVID-19. You've had to deal with things like this, wear masks um, for a long season of your life. Um, and I love that you're, you're so much more of an expert than any of us, <laughs> anybody in the media or anybody about what it looks like to, to uh, be safe, uh, but also knowing that when you walk out the door, you're taking a risk, but you have to live life. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I'm always happy to share. I was born with cystic fibrosis, and I'm sure most people... Um, are at least familiar with that disease, at least the word. Um, and so it's a, it's a genetic disorder that affects multiple systems in your body. Um, your lungs are the most affected. And so growing up, I always had to be more careful. Um, in high school, I actually missed several weeks of school because I was in the hospital for probably three weeks. Um, so that kind of stuff was just normal to me. And my parents did an amazing job of teaching me how to live um, and to live within the boundaries of the illness that I was born with, but not to let it hold me back. Um, And so with cystic fibrosis, lung transplant is always a possibility. Um, Not everyone needs one. Not everyone ends up choosing to have one. And for a long time, I was like, nope, not doing it. And then I got to the point where I actually got the swine flu in 2009, which is what started the downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And um, I was in the hospital every six to eight weeks. I had a pick line in my arm for 18 months, which is it's an IV. Um, I have scars all over the insides of my arms from it. And so that was a very physical manifestation of an illness that I had been able to almost pretend I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as the disease progressed, I was 27 
I think. And my doctor sat me down and said, I can keep patching you up, but I just don't know for how long. And I really think you ought to consider a transplant. And so that kind of touched off a family discussion with my parents and Dustin and myself about how are we going to handle this? And so um, obviously we chose to pursue a transplant and there's a whole lot of God things in there. Yeah, um, even the fact that we ended up in Jacksonville, Florida at the Mayo Clinic was a total God thing. I was hundred percent convinced we were going to UAB. That's where my doctor sent all of his patients. Um, and of course the insurance company gave us three choices and UAB was not one of them. Um, and Mayo Jacksonville was, and we hadn't told anyone that Mayo Jacksonville was one of our, our choices and had confirmation from God from two separate people within a couple of days that brought up the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville and how amazing it was and the great experiences that they had had. And so we just knew that that's where we were supposed to come. And so, um, I actually moved down here by myself and lived here by myself for about a year and a half. Um, almost two years, actually, while Dustin worked and kept our house in Georgia, he traveled down here every weekend, and it was just a very emotionally taxing time. Oh, I can imagine. And uh, without making the story too long, um, he got burned in an industrial accident, and I just totally lost my mind because I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Sell the house, get a new job. We have to move here together. And so God just put all the pieces into place. And looking back now, it's really easy to see where he was waiting for us to let go of certain things that we were holding very tightly to in order to prepare us for what came next. Um, so I waited almost 40 months to the day for my transplant. And um, it was three days shy of 40 months. And I had told my doctor a couple of months before that, I was like, March 11th is the day I'm going to have my transplant. And he was like, that's very specific. And I said, well, you know, God works in 40s. And so I just kind of laid it all out for him. And he was like, well, let's see if we can make that happen. And so March the 8th, we got called for transplant in 2014. And so we've never looked back. I had a really easy recovery. Um, if you don't know anything about transplant, the initial recovery is pretty brutal. <laughs> It's a lot of drugs that mess with your head, mess with your body. And so just learning to adjust to that. If I hadn't had such a great support system in Dustin and in my parents, I would not have made it through that. So we've walked through a lot, a lot of stuff that, you know, most people thank goodness we'll never have to, um, to walk through. So it makes our perspective on this current situation a little bit different. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the first time I met you, you were wearing a mask. I was. Um, you, when you came in here, and for a while, for a pretty good season, mm -hmm. um, you yeah. were wearing a mask in church. And um, it just, you know, it struck me, you know, Dustin works on our production team um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, serves with us here. And he's been here uh, on a Sunday morning. And I just, uh, you're one of those people that you're very smart in, in the way that you do, but you, you've never stopped living life. Um, and what would you say to somebody that's anxious in this season? And, you know, we're talking about bringing people in and gathering people huh? for church and doing some, you know, some things. You have a perspective that is beyond mine, beyond any of really a, a lot of the church leaders, because yeah. you've walked through, um, a, you know, this season where you, you know, you're even right now, you're in one of the higher risk yeah. categories than anybody. Um, so if you could just speak to that, just even just for sure. a, a few moments. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, tran post-transplant, you're immune suppressed. I take medication that actively suppresses my immune, my immune system to prevent rejection. 
So a lot of what people are experiencing now with wearing the masks in public, um, trying to be conscious about where you're going, um, who you're around, that's stuff that we learn to do with transplants. So when that, when I first recovered and we were, you know, getting to the point now where it was okay not to be completely isolated, it was very scary um, because they really do put, put the fear in you about, you know, if you get sick, you could go into rejection, you could end up in the hospital, it could be fatal. So you're, you're balancing all of these decisions with why did I have this transplant to begin with? I had it so I could have a better quality of life. So you kind of learn like some risks are unavoidable. You have to go to work, you have to go to the doctor's office, you have to go to the grocery store, but then there are other risks that you don't necessarily have to take. So you kind of learn to weigh out the risks that you're comfortable taking. Yeah. Um, and you also learn to um, find ways to do the things you love safely. So I love water sports, but I'm not really allowed to swim. Um, so we bought a kayak so I could still be on the water without being in it. Um, just things like that you learn um, and you start to ask the question, okay, I know I can't do this the way I would have before, but how can I safely gather with my friends? How can I safely visit with my family? How can I safely go to church and still continue to live without putting yourself in an unnecessary situation, but also um, not hiding away forever. And so I, I fully understand the fear. I, I went through it, everything I touched, everything I put in my mouth, I was really convinced was going to be a terrible decision. Um, Dustin is great about saying, you're going to be okay. It's fine. Don't panic. And we're surrounded with friends who are so, so, so cautious with us. Yeah. And that is something that we appreciate greatly. Um, so you just, you'll do it when you're comfortable is what I, what I always tell my friends and the people Such that I work with. Advice. You, you know, I mean, we're smart people. <laughs> um, you, you take in the risk factors, you take in what you want to do and, and you decide, okay, am I okay? Am I okay gathering with a small number of people outside? Yes. I think yeah. that feels fine. Okay. We're going to start there maybe with one or two people. I know our city group has gathered a couple of times already outside. Yeah. Um, and I felt totally safe doing that. Um, I will not go to Disney World. I won't be <laughs> licking any handrails any, anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, Handrail licking days are over. That's right. I, yes, I won't, be, <laughs> I, I won't be kissing people, which I wouldn't do anyway. But um, so yeah, just learning to kind of find your boundaries and yeah. also push beyond where maybe that fear is a little irrational. Um, but again, that takes time and yeah. people will do it when they're ready. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not ready to be out in the world, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. If you're ready to throw the doors wide open and fill your house with friends and family, I feel you on that one too. And, and finding that middle ground is something that everyone kind of has to do for themselves. And then, you know, just knowing like God didn't give us a spirit of fear um, he gave us brains to be smart about what we do. Um, and I, I kind of always go back to transplant. Like, why did I do this to start with? I didn't right. do this to sit on my couch. I didn't do this to hide in my house. And so, you know, we branch out and just sometimes we have to just say, okay, God, this is what I'm doing. And I, I'm trusting in you that it's going to be okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so good. I mean, yeah. I, 
that Do you wonder why we have her in a, a leadership <laughs> position at our church? Can you I come mean, back next week? Um, we want to hear more. So helpful. Like, it's so helpful and so informing just even as I sit here and think about, um, you know, our, our teams that are making decisions and thinking about what we're doing and um, to just the, that, the balance in the, the idea of not, not allowing fear to own you, but also God gave you a brain, so let's not mm-hmm. be dumb. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and the great thing is just observing your life and Dustin's life together. Like you, you guys are, you guys have a full life. I mean, if you do. follow Dustin and Katie on Instagram, <laughs> they are doing stuff all the time with do. their dogs and, you know, out in nature. And, and so it's, it's great to know that, you know, we don't have to be gripped by, you know, our circumstances. We're, so we're not a victim of our circumstances that, yeah. that, um, you know, there are things that we can do. And I, I, the perspective that you've lent in the, in the midst of, of everything that's going on is invaluable to, I know Super many people helpful. in our church. Today. Thank you so yeah. much, Katie. We really appreciate yeah. you being on. Um, it is yeah, always good to see you. your face. I know Thanks. people are excited and I know people are surprised and just like wowed by just listening to you talk because you're so smart. Um, but you also do it with compassion um, and communicate things that actually matter um, to us right yeah. now in our in our journey yeah. with God. So yeah, thank you so much. Okay. We will Thanks. see you soon. Okay. Bye. All right, bye. Awesome. Wow, that was so good. Yeah, and I can't I can't you know there's there's no substitute for having the right person on at the right time yeah. uh, to speak in, in areas that people need to hear yeah. um, in a season that we're in in life. Well, we'll be right back, and we're gonna be right there in Acts chapter ten. And God is sovereign on high. You'll you'll know why as we come back. If you got your Bible, turn me to Acts chapter 10. Uh, so great to hear uh, from Katie um, uh, just about life, but to find, just get in, in depth with her about her life, but how helpful it is even listening to her talk uh, with some authority um, in an area that I think a lot of us think we know and think we have opinions about, but um, she actually has some uh, real life experience in, in, uh, in a season of what it looks like to, to wear a mask and, and uh, worry about things that most of us don't worry about on a regular basis. Um, if you're, um, if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, like I said, but we'll also be in Ephesians chapter two. Um, and God is sovereign, like I said, just in terms of where we're, we're headed today. And, you know, I was thinking this week about, you know, the, you know, we're in this stay at home order kind of zone. And a lot of us have watched uh, probably a fair amount of Hulu, Netflix, Amazon prime, uh, some movies. Um, I know we should all read more, um, and I should read more, but I've definitely watched my fair share of movies. And I stumbled across this movie I had I'd never seen, and I can't believe it because I love Matthew McConaughey, 
Um, you know, all right, all right. He's from, you know, Texas. I mean, you got to love it. Um, but it's, it was called Free State of Jones. And it's, uh, it was fascinating because it was a, a period piece, and it's based on a true story of a guy that was a Confederate deserter. Um, for good reason, because he believed that the, the, the Civil War was unconstitutional, which it was. Um, but he also um, was a deserter because in Jones County, Mississippi, uh, his, his friends and family were being taxed unlawfully for this unconstitutional war. And then through a series of events, he becomes this advocate for this group of slaves in, the, in crazy circumstances, very inspiring, leads a revolution. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was, just couldn't believe that I had never seen it. But one of the things as I was watching it... Um, you know, it, it had so many cringeworthy moments, you know, not bad acting. It was incredible acting. It was cringeworthy on the fact of watching how horrible people treated each other, how humanity had broken down to such a degree where people treated each other in inhumane ways, how there was such division um, across the country, how there was this, this massive divide, um, not just racially, but just in terms of what people thought politically. I mean, it was, and I just thought to myself, man, I can't believe that, you know, I, I don't know that I can relate to a, a country that has such, such massive divide and where there's, you know, there's not racial harmony or where people would treat each other inhumane. I think you know where, where I'm going with that. You know, it's, it's 2020 and we're, we're in this season of life where we're seeing things happen um, and we're also seeing them um, play out in a way that... With, that 100 years ago or 200 years ago, we wouldn't get to see them play out because we've got social media, we have the news, um, and it's a whole different thing to navigate through when, when we're talking about all the divisions in the country. And, you know, I think a lot of people have been asking me, um, you know, how do we respond as Christians to the George Floyd situation? And I can't help you if you've not seen anything about that, if uh, you know, haven't watched the news or you don't live on planet Earth. Um, but you know, how do we not fuel more hate? And what's our response as Christians? Because it, it, it is almost like that. It, it, what, what do we do? Um, and, you know, through wisdom and, and listening to uh, the right people, I think that the first and foremost, before we do anything, before we launch bombs and before we open our mouths, the first thing that we should do is pray. And that's one of the convictions that I've had because I, I really, I, I got to be honest, I, I don't, as a pastor, to navigate through seasons like this, um, you don't know what to do. But I took the, the lead from Dr. John Piper, who's there in Minneapolis. Um, you know, I've respected him for years. We um, use uh, a lot of his teaching and materials and uh, commentary here at Ocean City Church. But he, he has a prayer, and I would love to do this together as a, as a church. So um, if, if you're in your house, maybe you could you know, get on your knees with your family, and we're going to pray this prayer together. Um, it's an excerpt of his prayer, but it's so uh, beautifully said and communicates um, the heart of God um, because it's, it's rooted in the hope um, for all of humanity in Jesus Christ. So um, if you would pray with me, and, and again, if you're in your home, if you could bow your head, uh, you could get on your knees with your family. This is something that we should pray as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, for those who knew George Floyd best and loved him most, bring them your consolation and direct their hearts to the God of all comfort. For Derek Chauvin, who put his knee on Floyd's neck for seven minutes until he died, we ask for the mercy of repentance and the judgment of justice. For the officers Thomas Lane, Tao Thao, and Alexander Kwong, who stood by, we pray that grief and fear will bear the fruit of righteousness and righteous remorse. And may the seriousness of the killing 
and the cowardice of the complicity meet with proper penalties. For the upright police who have watched all 10 minutes of the unbearable video of Floyd's dying, who consider it horrific and inhuman, who find it unbelievable that Chauvin did not say a single word for seven minutes as the man under his knee pled for his life, and who lament, these police, they lament with dashed hopes that they must start again from square one to rebuild, rebuild what meager trust they hope to have won. For these worthy servants of our city, we pray that they would know the patient endurance of Jesus Christ who suffered for deeds he did not do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, I, as, as we think about where we are as a country, you know, it, it, it's so interesting that not just in the, the area of race, because this has obviously brought up the issue of race uh, and um, but it's not an old issue. I've seen some amazing posts over the, over the last couple of days, uh, some that maybe uh, indirectly and, uh, you know, not intentionally, you know, incite more anger and hate, but some that have been written very beautifully and have led people uh, to the foot of the cross in a moment when um, we don't have a lot of answers in terms of how, how we operate as human beings. But what, what, what are we supposed to do? Certainly we should be outraged. Certainly there should be a cry for justice, but what are, what are we supposed to do beyond praying as we just did, but what is it that we, we should do? And I've been thinking about it over, over the last several days, and, and in God's sovereignty, he's had our, our church in the book of Acts, which racism is a, is a centerpiece as the gospel breaks through the racial divide, and it's not an easy one, um, that he's got us in Acts chapter 10. But maybe the answer for, for you and me, first and foremost, before we speak with quickness or say anything that it lies in our own heart and an examination of how we think and how we believe. Because for every single one of us, you know, wherever we are on the scale, the, the, we live in a world of us's and them's. Unfortunately for us, we live in that, that realm. In our sin, because racism comes from sin, in our sin and brokenness, our fear and our insecurity drives that idea of us's and them's. We do it in, in, on, in lightweight ways for many of us. And many, many of us would not ever consider ourselves racist, but all of us have the tendency to divide in groups of us. Everybody, every, I know everybody's all said, you know, I finally found my people. You ever heard anybody say that? I got my people. They, they talk like me. They look like me. We, we love the same jokes. We both watch Will Ferrell movies. These are my people forever and ever. These are my people. But, but, and, and that's great. In some senses, it's great to have community. It's great to have your people. But anytime you say there's an us, there's always a they. And we know what that's like. I mean, you know what that's... I mean, even in our, in, our, in our beach culture, it's so funny. I talk to high school students all the time. There's an us and there's a they. I mean, the Fletcher kids talk about the Ponte Vedra kids. And it's not that they hate them. It's just like we wear vans and they wear boat shoes. I mean, I don't know why. There's a huge difference between that and we feel uncomfortable. You know, you go to a party. You remember going to a party when you, and you, were, you, you knew who your us's were and you knew who the they's were. And you go and it's all they's. And you call your buddies and you're like... It's just days here, and you won't believe what they're doing. It's all days. i got to get out of here. Why are y'all not here? I'm here with all the days. We all, there's a tendency that's buried inside of our insecurity and fear that leads us to that place. And it finds its way out in the way that we tend to divide. In the world that we live in right now, I mean, there's wear a mask or don't wear a mask. There's open the economy, and there's consider the most vulnerable. There's I watch Fox News, and I watch CNN and MSNBC. There's political divides that are so, have gotten to the place of violence. 
And subconsciously, things are rising up, in, not just outside the church. These are things that are happening inside the church, and they become of primary importance, these divides. It's interesting, several years ago when I was uh, doing ministry at River City Church, inner city, I mean, that's where the church was, in the City Rescue Mission, uh, northwest Jacksonville, in the Lackawanna area. We served in the Hollybrook area, in the low-income housing area, people that made less than $5,000 a year. We had ministry there. And I remember doing youth ministry with with no other than Danny Strickland. Um, and we were, we were talking about, like, we, we looked around at our youth group, and it was, you know, even though we had 13 high schools represented, Bowles, Episcopal, Bishop Kenny, um, but Reigns, Rebalt, Lee High School, I mean, it was just, it was a crazy diversity. Some of you are listening to that that grew up here, you're like, wow. Um, but we looked around, and it was all white kids. It was just all white kids. And we just thought, okay, we're ministering to Hollybrook. Why don't we go there? Like the day of youth group, and we'll just bring, you know, your broke down minivan, Derek, and some other cars, and we'll load them up and ask them if they, you know, they want to go to youth group. And so we did that. We took cars over there, we took minivans over there, and just said, hey, you know, we, we have youth group on Wednesday nights. Yeah, do you want to come? There's food, there's snacks, there's games, where it's, you know, this cool house off Park Street. Do you want to come? 100% of them. I mean, they want to escape their miserable life for just a few moments. They're like, yeah, we'll go. Free food, snacks, games, cool house on Park Street, we're in. Um, and they all would come. And I know what many of you are thinking. Like some of you right now in, in, the, in the world, and I, I know what it's like, that world of church idealism, you're like, that's church. That is the best idea ever. That's the, why, why is that not the church today? Why do we not do that today? Why is that not every church? Why are we not, why, why are we not creating more of that like what that that is a beautiful mess. And I'll, I'll tell you, it, it was. It was many, it was so many beautiful moments, and it was a beautiful mess. But within a month and a half, within a month and a half, there was only one white girl left in our youth group. Virginia Smith, I love you forever. One. And and I'll tell you this: I would never have called any of those students that were previously there racist. But guess what? There was something deep down that was rooted in, that made them leave. And I would call the parents and ask, and they would be, you know, it's, my kids have said it's gotten a little bit more rowdy there, and that you, know, they, that, that you guys never get to the lesson, and that, that people keep interrupting, and it's just, it, it doesn't seem, they, they, they think they, they belong somewhere else, and that's where they should be. And some people would just straight up lie and say, my kid just started playing sports. I mean, it would be something, you know, where they just weren't there anymore. And I wouldn't have considered any of the parents racist. I mean, in, in, in all fairness, I mean, there's 12-year-old you know, kids that are showing up that had gang tattoos. And there's fear that's involved with that. But what does that say about you and about me? And for me, I had to self first and say, is there any wicked way in me? And we should be asking ourselves in the church before we lodge any bombs, before we throw our, you know, which side are we on? Where am I? What's happening in my heart? How do I feel about my brother and sisters inside the church, outside the church, and in our community? What, what do I think? Because if we lose empathy for the people in our church, if we lose empathy for the people in our community, immediately that loss of empathy means a, a loss of civility. And when there's a loss of civility in any society, history teacher over here, Aaron Walsh, what happens? Hostility rises. And that civilization begins to fall. And we're seeing that hostility rise, aren't we? Because there's a loss of empathy, which has created a loss of civility, which all of a sudden the hostility, the wall of hostility has gone up. So the question is, can the gospel break down the dividing wall of hostility? 
when it comes to race, when it, when it comes to politics, when it comes to social idealism, and what you believe is right, your way being right. Does the gospel have something to say about that? Does it have something to say about opening our eyes to people that don't look like us, talk like us, dress like us, make the same money or more money than us? Wherever the dividing lines are. And it is incredible to be in Acts chapter 10. You know, you want to say something clever as a pastor and, and pop off and, and make sure that you've said it right. You know, the word of God's going to say it just fine. Because God deals with racism. He wanted the gospel to go here, there, and everywhere. Not Judea, not just in Samaria to where there was half Jews, but to the ends of the earth. And he knew that he had some, some guys on his team that were racist. Peter, no, he was known. And this wasn't the only time that Peter was addressed for his racism. The Apostle Paul had to stand up in the, in the cafeteria when they were all eating with their buddies. Because Peter's Jewish friends had come in and he started just eating with his Jewish friends. And he says, hey, you're not... You, do, do you realize... The blood of Christ paid for your opportunity to even sit here. And what you're doing is not what Christian brothers do. So God deals first with Peter in this, in this passage. It's amazing. It starts out with a guy named Cornelius, who was of the Italian regiment. He was a, um, a Roman soldier, Roman centurion. And, but he was known as a God-fearer, which meant he wasn't a Christian, but he, the things of God interested him. He prayed to God. He was, he was well-known in the community. He gave to the poor. He cared about God and was interested in God. And an angel came to him in a dream and said, God's heard your prayers. God has heard your voice. God's seen what you've done. And he wants you to hear from a guy named Peter. So he says, hey, you need to go to this guy, Peter, uh, Simon, who is called Peter. He's at another Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. Pastors often do that. They stay at people's houses that they don't own, but people that live by the sea. It's fantastic. Um, and Peter was doing that. So he's in there. He's, he's, he says, you need to send your guys there to find Simon Peter. And what's crazy is at the same time, Peter's there. Dinner's getting prepared by uh, Simon the Tanner and his family. And he goes into a trance. I mean, God gets to men the way that he needs to get to men, through their stomachs, Right? I mean, he's smelling the food, and all of a sudden he goes to sleep. And guess what he sees? He sees the holy barbecue descending on a sheet. On the, the four corners of the sheet are descending. And on it are all types of four-footed animals, including reptiles and birds. I don't know if you've ever had reptiles and birds in your barbecue, but um, everything's coming down on the sheet, like the, 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 the four rivers, you know, extravaganza. And God says to Peter, kill and eat. Rise, kill and eat, Peter. And he's like, no way. I can't do that because of the laws. Those things were unclean. If you were a Jew, not, I, don't, I don't touch that stuff. That's not where I go. I do like the smell of bacon, but I haven't eaten any. And so he, he does it once. And then on the second time, God says, I don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And not once, not twice, but three times God calls Peter in this trance to rise, kill, and eat. And he's calling Peter to something to, to, to change his ways. And Peter's trying to figure out, what is the Lord saying to me? And then the, the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's, there's men downstairs. Three guys are coming, coming to get you. You need to go with them. And sure enough, right at that time, they come to the door. They knock on the door and say, hey, we're looking for, we're looking for Simon Peter. They're like, yeah, he's here. He comes in and Peter says, yeah, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm supposed to go with you. Invites them in. They stay the night. And then they go and meet Cornelius, who has already had a dream. Now, Cornelius has packed his whole, he's brought everybody he knows, packed his whole family. He's like, hey, this guy, this preacher guy from Jerusalem, he's coming here. Apparently, crazy things have been happening around him. He knows some things about God that we don't know, and God wants us to hear from him. So he's got all these people packed in this house. 
And that's where we find ourselves in verse 25. It says, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. And I thought when I read that, Peter's already starting to get the picture of what God said. Like, you're no different than anybody else. When he told him to rise, kill, and eat, don't call anything that, uh, unclean that's, that God has made clean. He realizes, okay, I, there, there's, there's equality amongst human beings. God's doing something different here. And as Cornelius is on his knees, he says, get up, I'm, I'm just a man. You and I both are just men before God. I love that he's already understanding what God's trying to lead him to. In verse 27, it says, While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. And he said to him, see, he said to them directly, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. This, the, the racism I can't describe. If you read commentary, the racism between Jews and Gentiles was massive proportion. I mean, they, 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 this was not a lightweight thing. And, and you've got plenty of examples to draw on, but there was extreme racism between the Jews and the Gentiles. Even within the Jewish community, there was racism between Jews, what type of Jew you were. But you got outside of that into the Gentile world, which is um, the, the root of that is et, um, ethnos, which is ethnic. It's where we get that word from. It says, we're not allowed to associate with the Gentiles, but God, listen, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And Cornelius goes on and he says, we're supposed to hear about what it is that you've been talking about. You need to, 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 to preach your sermon. Do your thing. We're, we're here waiting. And then Peter goes into another one of his amazing sermons, starts talking about Jesus, and that he spent time on planet earth with Jesus. He walked in life with Jesus, but Jesus was crucified, that his blood was poured out for sinners, for all people. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and we saw him for 40 days. We ate with him. We hung out with him. And he explains and gives them the gospel. And in verse 34, it says, When Peter began to speak, um, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And then Peter gives his sermon. And in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, while he's still speaking the words, while he's still bringing the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. So the circumcised believers are the Jewish believers. Just if you were trying to figure that out, I won't go into any more detail. But those, those were the, the Jewish guys that rolled up with him. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. And then Peter said, surely, just from seeing all of this, no one can stand in the way of, of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. We're no better than they are. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So what an amazing story. Is God not amazing that this is where we would land this week? What just happened? Like, what just happened in this story? What's, what I think is amazing is Peter is realizing what Paul later writes in Ephesians chapter 2. We often lean into the book of Ephesians, and, and especially in Ephesians chapter 2, and we make it personal. But Ephesians was collective. It's meant to be read, read as a we. Like, this is how we do this. This is what the gospel means to us. 
And I want to dive in just real quick into Ephesians chapter 2 because it really explains everything that you see in the narrative in Acts chapter 10. The Apostle Paul breaks down theologically and says, this is what God did. This is why this can be. This is why a Jew can't look at a Gentile and say, we're better than you because we were the people of God. Or we're better than you because this is the place we are in humanity. Or we're better than you because we have the right ideal and you have the wrong ideal. This is why you can't do that. And the Apostle Paul explains it in detail. In the, in the leading verses, he says, You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You had no way of choosing God or doing anything right. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one can boast about their positions on planet earth, especially their position before God, because you had no shot with God, whether you were a Jew, whether you were a Gentile. So he's... He's doing something in this passage as we hit verse 11. He's not only reconciling individuals to God. Like the cross makes a way. We always say that. The cross has made a way for us. Jesus, in my place, made, he made a way for me to have a relationship with God. But guess what else is happening in Ephesians chapter 2? And guess what else God's doing? Not only are we being reconciled to God, but we're being reconciled to one another. People that were former enemies could be friends because of the gospel. People that formerly had extreme forms of racism towards one another. They could be brothers. They could be sisters. That's the power of the gospel. Not only to lead us home to our Heavenly Father, but to lead us to one another as brothers and sisters. In verse 11 it says, Therefore, listen, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are, are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like Paul's uprooting their next level name calling. I mean, that's what they called them. They're, you are the uncircumcision. I mean, that's a whole different level of name calling um, by those who call themselves to the circumcision. And, and just to tell you, the circumcision would be the people that, that were set, set apart by God. The Jews thought, we are, we are set apart. And they were. They were set apart by God. They, they were marked by God in a way that was different than the Gentiles. But you see this reconciliation that that the Apostle Paul begins to talk about here. He's saying something else is going on here. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. If you were a Gentile, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of his, in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. That's where you were. That was your status. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. By what? By the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Jews, the Gentiles, former disparate parties, former enemies, made the two groups one. What's he done? He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. I love this. I mean, as we look in verse 11, I love that right at the top it says to remember. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, the only command is remember. Is, is remember. There's no other command in there. Because before we do the work of the gospel, the gospel has to do its work on us. That's what happens first. And that's what needs to happen to us first in this current situation. What, what the Apostle Paul is driving to and a theme that you'll see throughout the epistles is humility amongst people. And I, I, I want to I talk about a few things. One, that humility leads us to empathy. And empathy is the one thing in Christ that can lead us to unity. And if you're wondering what it looks like for the church to glorify God, 
a unified church does glorify God and is what glorifies God. So first, we see humility. He, he levels the playing field here, the Apostle Paul, because he's leading to this idea of sin and insecurity. You were an outsider. It drives the us's and them's. All of us collectively were without hope. That's, that's where the dividing line kind of falls down. So the first thing that we unify on is our sin. The Apostle Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no shot with God. For by grace you have been saved. It's interesting talking to Matt Odom. When you think about addiction ministry and guys that get in groups and girls that get in groups and talk about their addiction, what's interesting is those groups are usually really diverse, socioeconomically, racially. And what, what their commonality is, if you've ever sat in one or been in one of those addiction groups, is they all, they do, they, they, they connect, they bond, they get glued together. Why? Because they all can relate. We all have messed up similarly. We've all destroyed our families. We've all made a mess of things. We've all sinned. We all need each other. And we all need Jesus. In verse 14 and 15, we see the law being mentioned. Like the, these, these two groups have been made one and the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down by setting aside, how did it happen? By setting aside his flesh, the law, with its commands and regulations. How is he setting it aside? Well, for the Jews, their problem was, in the way that they saw the rest of the world, is that they thought the law, when you read the, the law in Deuteronomy, when you read the law in Leviticus, when you read in the Old Testament, the law that the Jews followed, the, the misunderstanding and brokenness that the Jews had along the way, because they did have hope, because they knew that God existed. They knew that God loved them. They knew that they were his children. They had the benefit of that but that they thought that the law was their ladder to God rather than the x-ray to show them their brokenness. That they had made a mistake along the way thinking that the law was the thing that was going to bring them home when in actuality the law was just an amplification of the fact that they need Jesus. That's the mistake that they had. And with that type of humility coming to the ground in Ephesians chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10 and throughout Scripture and in the centerpiece of the gospel, this humility begins to birth empathy. If you continue in Ephesians chapter 2, it says his purpose, God's purpose. Listen to this. You probably never read Ephesians 2 this way. It's usually God did this for me. Look what he did for me. He united me with Christ, which he did. You see in Christ all through Ephesians. But his purpose was what? To create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Formerly disparate parties, former enemies, would become one by the blood of Christ, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their, what? Hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see how, how humility just kind of levels things down? Um, you can't feel like you're better. We, we often raise our, our political views, the things that we think at, at this primary place. But all of a sudden the gospel comes in and you realize all of a sudden the gospel brings empathy because none of us were righteous. No, not one. None of us had a shot before God. No matter where you are, no matter what race you're from, no matter what political party you're in, you can't claim 
we're the better ones. That nobody can. This levels the playing field and puts us into the place of empathy. And when you do have empathy, empathy ultimately brings unity. You know, I, I thought of this illustration, and I've heard it before in different ways, but I, I thought of it this way, just even reading this. Imagine an orphanage where there's a bunch of, you know, it's, it's a, a, an orphanage for boys. And there's, there's several boys in there, and they're all competing you know, whenever there's an opportunity to be adopted, like they all want to be the best. They all want to make sure that they're in the right place. And, and of course, to do that, you've got to, you know, hey, I, I'm better than this guy. I'm, I'm, I want to put myself in this position. And there's this competition in the orphanage. But imagine there's, there's two boys particularly, and they are at odds with one another. And one boy, all of a sudden, he gets, he, he gets the word from the headmaster, the, the guy that's in charge of the orphanage, said, hey, I just want to let you know that legal documentation has started for your adoption. And here's, here's some letters of, of, of the parents with pictures of their heart for you, that they, that they love you already because God's told them that they love you and, and they, they love you already. And here's the date that they're coming to get you. You see, that boy would have some serious hope. He, he, there's some excitement that's, that's on there, even through difficult times, even if the date is not tomorrow, the next day, or if it's not a year from now, that's going to be something that carries them through. Think about the, the Jewish race. That, that was them. That was them. They had hope. They knew that, that something was coming. They, it got them through difficult times. But then there's another boy, right, in the picture. And he's not been chosen. He's not been picked. He's not really in the framework of the same deal. Like he's just completely two different individuals, one picked and one not picked. And then eventually the date comes and the parents come and they see the boy and they pick up the boy. You know, we got the legal documentation. We got, we got the paperwork. We've sent you letters and we love you. And then the eyes immediately turn as if they're completely confident that this was always the plan. They said, and guess what? You're coming too. You're coming too. You're coming with us. And then the child's like, well, I don't have any letters. I don't have any legal documentation. And they're like, we don't, you're coming too. doesn't matter. You're coming. You're coming with us. We love you. We've loved you. Before the foundation of the world. We, we've loved you for all time. We've always loved you. We've loved both of you. The two of you who, who were not brothers by blood are now actually brothers by blood. And the two become one new humanity. Former enemies, now brothers. What a powerful picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 2. And now where they, neither of them could relate to one another, now they're in a position where both brothers can have empathy for one another. They can see from a lens of, we didn't do anything. It is by grace that we were adopted. We didn't do anything right. We didn't do anything good. In fact, we were dead in our sins and trespasses when he came and said, I want you and I want you. I want you all. Because that's the heart of God. And that drives empathy in our lives that drives us. He's taking two formerly independent, different parties and making them family. Peace between the two. No more wall of hostility, no more jealousy, no more insecurity, no more fear, both chosen, both family. Humility becomes empathy, which becomes the seedbed for our unity inside the church and outside the church. And that unity, guess what that unity does? It brings God glory. 
We say, well, that's what we want to do. We want to invite anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. And I've got to look within myself as the pastor, and we've got to look within ourselves as followers of Jesus. What does that mean for us to invite anyone and everyone and be unified under the banner of Christ? In verse 19, it says, you are, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. I love that word strangers there in the Greek. Tourist is the way that it, it, it translates. You're no longer a foreigner or a tourist. I like that. For me, it translates to townie out here at the beach. You're no longer a townie. You are now just, you've been adopted into the beach family. But you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You're all in with, with Christ, Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Listen to this. In him, the whole building is being joined together. And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Unity brings glory to God. And it is why we are here. If we want to be a city on a hill, if we want to be something that's not hidden, then there needs to be unity in the church. That means the glory inside the church is when political differences, because we got them in our church, they fall to the floor. They disappear in light of the blood of Christ that unifies us. Racial differences certainly fall to the floor. Socioeconomic differences fall to the floor. Whether I wear a mask or don't wear a mask, that falls to the floor. Our likeness in Christ is primary, and it was paid for by blood. The narrative that will be spun in the world around us, the world that we don't belong to because we're citizens of another world, wants to tell us that the dividing wall should go back up but the gospel says that the dividing wall of hostility between human beings and between brothers and sisters in the church has come down by the beauty of the gospel. Total reconciliation. No walls of hostility. Not only glory inside the church through our unity inside the church, but the glory of the gospel for all people. And this is where I think we have to challenge ourselves. What does it look like to have a heart for all people of every color, of every race, every community, what does it look like for us to work hard to get out of the comfort area of the, the us's and the they's? Christ died for all of them. He died for me. He died for you. 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 What does that look like inside the church? We have to lead with humility, church. Because it is solely by the grace of God for by grace you've been saved through faith not of works you didn't do anything so when the piety rises the anger rises the pride rises when it comes to our political view the anger and why somebody else would possibly think this way when does humility override that when does the blood of Christ override that when does the unity that comes at the foot of the cross begin to override that for you and for me. And again, I'm not dropping a bomb on you at the church to say, I don't have some work to do. In all transparency, this is, this is about me. It's about you. It's about looking inside of ourselves. Is there any wicked way in me when it comes to how we treat other human beings? And what's possible when we think of all the people on planet Earth as when we see them as the children of God, they are the, whether they are Christian or non-Christian, they are the children of God. And they have the hope, what it, the possibility. Just think of every human being might 
They, they might, their idealism might be different, but guess what? Someday they might believe like you. They might stumble in as a, an immature Christian into the church with a completely different political view, with a completely different family. Like, this is the way I run my family. This is the way I run my family. How, how do we unify? Is it easy? No. No. Just like it wasn't easy to come here this morning and talk about what I'm talking about. I mean, it was like hopscotching into a landmine. I mean, it, it's, it's difficult. Unity is difficult. But I love that God has given us the gospel. And, I, and I, I don't want to flippantly put it out there because there's work to be done. But we can rest in this. This should be the amplification of our hearts. This should be the thing that we push out is our humility and our empathy and our love. That we're no better than anyone else and that we should be fighting for everyone else. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love that your gospel is so much more powerful than the, the airwaves, than the media, than the noise, than the stomping, than the, than the anger and the rage, that the peace that comes with the gospel, the blood that you poured out, God, having, having perspective of what it looks like to have people turn their back on you, you know, and you, you still come with mercy and grace. You still come with peace. You still come with a solution that none of us could ever have. We don't know what to do and don't know and, and don't have the solution to racism, but you can change it in an instant, and that's what we pray for. Division in our country, you can change it in an instant, and that's what we pray for. God, let us not allow our idealism to rise above our lineage with you as believers. Our blood born brother and sisterhood. In Jesus' name.